Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Breaking Down the Doors. I'm your host, Mike Organ, alongside Vanderbilt beat writer Adam Sparks. SEC football is finally back. Despite a delay due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Vanderbilt will kick off its season on Saturday at number 11, Texas A&M. The Commodores are coming off a three and nine season and facing the daunting task of playing a 10 game schedule against only SEC teams. Today we ask the question, can Vanderbilt win games in this conference only format? Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a good question, Mike. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've been asked this question a whole lot in the preseason. Once the SEC only schedule came out, no non-conference games, no give-me's. I've been asked that a lot of, well, can Vandy win any of these? You know, it, it maybe got even harder today because now Vandy is up to, this is six opt-out players. That's uh, six guys opting out for COVID-19. Uh, four players have transferred since the spring. Three players we know of at least are out with injuries for the A&M game. And uh, another player is quarantined. And most of those, I think 13 total players, are either starters or key players. And yeah. so, you know, it's a uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a tough road to hoe right now for, for Vandy. And also, when you look at the fact that they were 1-7 last year in the SEC, um, they lost four of their best offensive players. They've got a new quarterback. They've got a makeshift offensive line. It's, it's a tall order. You know, when we were prepping for this, I asked you, Mike, about what you thought about the fact of Vandy going 0-10. <laughs> <laughs> you've got somebody you know, I guess, that, that thinks 0-10 is uh, plausible and willing to put their money on it. I have a friend who is pulling for 0-10. He's an acquaintance who uh, is uh, – he, he participates in some uh, uh, betting uh, activities, and he has laid $2,500 on Vanderbilt going winless this year. Interesting, he got that early on, like I want to say in July. And he has gone from pulling for Vanderbilt bad fortune, uh, such as uh, today, uh, what you reported, to pulling against that because now his concern is that Vegas is going to take that offer off the board because it's going to be so likely that Vanderbilt will go winless. So he's now to the point like, okay, you're bad enough, Vanderbilt. Stop. Don't do anything else to get yourself taken off this board. So, but he's he's very confident that Vanderbilt will go winless in the conference. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy when you think about that. That that's almost becomes likely. Uh, you know, I remember looking about a month ago, and you would see some different Vegas odds of saying Vandy's over-under on wins was like one and a half, one and a half wins. And I've, I haven't looked at the latest numbers, but I would imagine that's, that's dropping quite a bit. I mean, I, at some point, I think you've got to think that, uh, you know, they gotta, they got to beat somebody in here. Despite the, their losses, you got to think the odds are that they'll, they'll figure out a way um, to beat somebody. But when I look at the schedule, you know, I don't see, I don't see many – opportunities for that I mean okay so A&M this week uh, by the way I'm driving to College Station (laughs) how far is that uh it's 12 hour drive I think from Nashville so um 
people out there support local journalism <laughs> because I'm <laughs> driving uh, round trip 24 hours to cover this game. But um, A&M is a 30 and a half point favorite in this game. After that, uh, the home opener, even though fans won't be there, is LSU. That's the defending national champion. They lost a lot, um, but they're still very talented, very athletic. Uh, South Carolina, maybe some years you would think maybe that's a winnable game, but they've won 11 straight over uh, over Vandy. So you wouldn't historically you wouldn't see that one. And then you let can- me stop. Let me stop you there, Adam, yeah. uh, because I think. South Carolina is kind of quote unquote winnable, but when you consider those first two games, <clears throat> I think it makes it less winnable. But because of the lack of depth that Vanderbilt's going to already have, and that the beating they could take in those first two games, I think will have an impact on the South Carolina game. Yeah, I mean, eventually you could run out of players, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and especially with the two opponents like those first two. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, the, uh, the SEC released its uh, its it's parameters of how a game could be played. In other words, could uh, COVID quarantines and those things cancel uh, a game? And uh, it's 53 players you have to have, which is, you know, the NFL standard 53 men roster. But another stipulation in there is that you have to have at least seven available offensive linemen to play a game. And Vandy, according to Derek Mason today as press conference, they have eight or nine (laughs) available Offensive linemen, and like you said, that's before they play A&M and LSU, where they're going to be about thirty-point underdogs. So, yeah. So you yeah. have South Carolina. That's that's a that's a tough first three. You know, all this preseason, I've said if they're going to get a win, it's going to be in the three-game stretch in the fourth, fifth, sixth games mid-season at Missouri, and then Ole Miss at home, yeah. and at Mississippi State. All three of those teams have new coaches, implementing new systems. You know, they beat Missouri last year. They beat Ole Miss a couple years ago, although Lane Kiffin, I think, is an upgrade in coaching for Ole Miss. Mississippi State has Mike Leach, uh, which I think at least for year one could be square peg and round hole as far as uh, as far as just putting in his air raid offense into a team that's not really – doesn't really have the personnel to do that. So maybe they win one in there, but you're right. They, they have to survive this and get enough players – to that point, and they have to figure out what they're going to do offensively and defensively with two new coordinators. Yeah, they're going to be figuring things out along the way now. Maybe they have things figured out by this three-game, this critical three-game stretch, but I don't know. That's awfully quick in, early in the season, well, four games in, and uh, to do what all they need to get done. I think if you I think if if you get to that point and Vanderbilt has still not won a game, uh, I think zero and ten becomes almost likely. I mean, they're absolutely yeah. I mean, they they finish uh, at Kentucky and then Florida, Tennessee, Georgia. Tennessee can sometimes be winnable, and it's certainly been variable, very winnable the last few years. The Vols are better than they were when Vandy won, uh, won that stretch of games against them just a couple of years ago. So that's, that's not necessarily an easy game. Florida is a contender in the East. Georgia's a contender in the East. I don't see them winning either one of those games. Kentucky some years is winnable, but Kentucky is so physical, so physical on both sides of the ball, both lines. And if you get to that point in the season where you're looking at like, a, what, a week seven game, and, again, if Andy can survive that long, you're probably not going to be in good enough shape 
uh, to compete up front with with Kentucky. But at that point, I think 0-10, if you don't get a, get a win in the middle of that season, 0-10 becomes probable uh, at that point. You know, when I was talking to you yesterday, Mike, about the possibility, could that really happen to Vandy? You said, well, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen it, going winless in the SEC. And, I mean, you were beat rider for, what, about eight, nine years? Yeah. I don't, you didn't see a whole lot of SEC wins in there. Well, and, and not only that, the two years before I became the beat rider, I was the backup for, for Larry Woody, and, and we had th- those were some years, some lean years under Watson Brown. But, uh, you know, I, in my term as a beat rider, I saw four winless uh, SEC uh, records. Now, one of the claims to fame Vanderbilt has is it has never had a winless season in the history of its football program, but that includes non conference. That includes a lot of patsies. So that we don't have that this year. And you pointed that out yesterday. You know, usually you have a couple of not, and the patsy games can help you. Can they, and it certainly would help Vanderbilt this year with all of, with trying to figure out its offense, trying to come up with a quarterback, trying to fill these gaps that it has. You know, the, the, the easy games this year, the non-conference games, could definitely play play into their hand. It'd be like having the preseason for the NFL, which we're seeing a lot of teams struggling having not had that. So, yeah, I, I think uh, – but, you know, in that stretch that I covered Vanderbilt, it was such a lean stretch that uh, Vanderbilt never won more than two SEC games. So – Playing a full schedule of only SEC teams is extremely daunting for this program. Yeah, and to be putting in a couple of new coordinators, new systems, and trying to implement that when really they only had four practices back in spring. So they're kind of behind the eight ball to begin with, even aside from from losses and personnel. You mentioned Watson Brown a minute ago, and Watson Brown had a – uh, sort of a spread it out, uh, throw the ball a lot type offense. That's the last time that really Vandy, I think, did anything even similar to what they're going to try to do this year. Todd Fitch is the new offensive coordinator. I, it, this could certainly change during the year, but at least going into the season, the idea is they're going to be more up-tempo. They're going to be, uh, th- I think, three wide, maybe even four wide, but I think at least three wide receivers in most formations. At least that's what we saw in spring practice. They're going to try to throw the ball a lot. And, again, I think that could change if it doesn't work in the first quarter of the A&M game. But, you know, why over the years do you think Vandy hasn't gone back to that? I mean, did Watson Brown's offense, did people feel like that was something that would work long-term at Vandy? No, well, what, what happened, Adam, was that uh, Vanderbilt under Watson Brown. Watson was the hot commodity back in those days before he came back to Vanderbilt. He was the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt when Vanderbilt had uh, went to a bowl game and had a really good season under George McIntyre. He became the hottest commodity, uh, you know, the coaching commodity in the country, one of them. And he became known as an offensive genius. And he went to some places, Cincinnati and then to Rice and tried, you know, he, he never was at either of those places long enough to get his program established. And he comes back to Vanderbilt and he does exactly what you're saying he spreads the ball out and he moves the ball up and down the field 
with ease, great ease, incredibly. But it's up and down the field between the twenties. Uh, they they just they they have no problem with these little deep passes and out patterns and short pattern pass, passes to get up and down the field from the between the twenties. Once they got inside the twenties, it was a whole different ball game. Literally, they the when the field would shrink, they ran out of room to spread out, like you were talking about, and they had great trouble getting into the end zone. I believe that one year, one of those first couple of years, Keith Edwards, a wide receiver, led the country with an incredible number of catches. And I, I can't remember how many it was, well over 150 or so. And I believe Keith had three touchdowns that year. <laughs> so that's what you ran into was you couldn't use – the end zone wasn't deep enough to continue to, to throw the ball around like that. And on the other side, that up-tempo – really put a lot of pressure on the defense because they would move the football up and down the field. Then they'd get to the 20, it would stall. They'd either miss field goal or uh, turn the ball over on downs, and the defense was right back out on the field. So it was a, a combination of two issues. Was just couldn't – didn't have the manpower up front to, to once the, the ball got inside of 20 into the red zone to, to score, and then the defense uh, just being on the field that much couldn't hold up. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a there's a possibility that it could be the same odd fit this year because Derek Mason in the preseason, I asked him, you know, what what difference do you want to see out of your out of your offense this year compared to more of the pro style that was run last year? And he said, I want them out on the field longer. I want converted third downs. I want more time of possession. I want my defense to be able to rest more and not be on the field quite as much. Well, if you're putting in a, an up-tempo <laughs> passing offense, you're, you're going to go three and out, and you're going to run about 45 seconds off the clock, and then your defense is going to be right back out there. Now, if it succeeds, any offense that succeeds, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about that. But if this one fails, it's going to be the worst thing for that defense, like what you're talking about that happened, uh, what, 25, 30 years ago. So, you're also, also going to be so much more – prone to turnovers in this offense. You're not going to be – the ball control is going to be a, a thing of the past, and that's going to put more pressure on your defense. Well, already Vandy's offensive line has issues because uh, it's going to start a freshman, either a redshirt freshman or a true freshman at left tackle. It's going to start either a converted defensive lineman um, or a transfer at left guard, and, uh, and they're going to have a new quarterback. Um, Junior college transfers, Jeremy Musa, Danny Clark. They used to play at Hawaii and Kentucky, respectively. Clark was at Kentucky. And then freshman Mike Wright and Ken Seals. Those are the four guys competing. Derek Mason would not say who is going to start. He said he had trimmed the competition down to two uh, here in the past week or so. You know, I think that's funny, Adam, that he – I read that today uh, in your story. Whenever, Yeah, it was today, right, that he revealed that. And I think it's funny that you won't say who's going to start when it really doesn't matter to the opposition who starts. There's no film on any of them. So, but knowing who's going to start is not going to be any advantage for you whatsoever. No, Jimbo and A&M are not losing any sleep over, <laughs> over who Vandy is starting. Regardless of who it is, I mean, you know, they're going to have to get the ball out of their hand quickly. They're not going to be protected well. That's just that they don't have a whole lot of proven skill guys. Uh, Vandy lost its – Top running backs, best tight end, best wide receiver, it's left tackle. So uh, it's going to be difficult on offense. And, and on defense, coming into the season, it was supposed to be all 11 starters returning. 
And instead, if my count is right today, because of COVID and because of uh, injuries and all that sort of thing, uh, that 11 is down to seven going into the A&M. Seven returning starters as opposed to 11. So that makes quite a bit of difference. So, so we'll see. During the course of a season, you know, by the seventh, eighth, or ninth game, you say, well, you know, we came into this season with all our starters back, but we, we lost four or five along the way. They lost four or five along the way before they ever got on the field. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen many places. Uh, this is a pandemic, and Vanderbilt has been hit harder with a number of things already. And Vandy had probably the thinnest roster to begin with. They usually do in most SEC seasons. So uh, let's wrap it up. Let's do, for what it's worth, let's do a score prediction. Um, I'll go first. This is a 30-and-a-half point spread. I think A&M covers that and then some. I'm going to go Texas A&M 45, Vanderbilt 10. And the follow-up question there is, how is Vandy going to score 10? I have no idea, but I'm going to give them – I'm the beat writer, so I'm going, to, I'm going to help them out a little bit and say, say A&M 45 to 10 in the opener. Who you got? I'm going to play it safe, too, and go stick to that line, go a little bit over it. I'm going to go uh, A&M 42, Vanderbilt 7. I think uh, at the end, the way they'll score, Vanderbilt will score will be by the end of the game, A&M will have its third team in, and uh, uh, Vanderbilt doesn't have a third team, so it will still have the majority of its starters still out there, and we'll be able to score a touchdown to make it 42-7, to seven, uh, Vanderbilt. Starters versus third team. I like that. Uh, that's the only way you can go if that's all you got, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that that maybe they'll be shuffled a little bit in different positions, but it's still going to be the same personnel, I believe. So that person you know that's got $2,500 on the 0-10 season, we're saying that person can sleep well for at least another another week. Another week or two at least, yeah. I think this game and then depending on how they come out of this game, going into LSU I think is going to be – he's going to be pretty in pretty good shape. Okay, that does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll all subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. I'm Mike Morgan, and for Adam Sparks, thanks for listening.